0: Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian
1: Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and today we are going to go on a journey, sort of. I mean, you're going to stay wherever you are listening to this, but we're going to go on a journey to a place where you might want to move to someday, or you might want to sort of visit, or we'll see how this goes. And I have the president of the organization that has chartered this location, We'll just leave it at that for now. His name is Joel Baumgar. He is an entrepreneur and technology executive. He currently serves as a state representative in the Mississippi legislature. He is the founder of Baumgar Corporation, is the honorary chairman of the Hazlitt Coalition of Young Americans for Liberty. And he's the president of Prospera, an economic development platform that enables sustainable, profitable growth in partnership with governments and communities. Joel, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Doug. Thrilled to be here. So I want to start off with we'll leave everybody hanging about where we're going to be talking about here. So let's start off by um, talking a little bit about what prosperity means and how that is linked to good governance, because we're on a libertarian podcast and you have libertarian sympathies, at least if not more than just sympathies. And yet the idea of good governance, everybody said, what do you mean good governance? That means we need minarchist state. And everybody gets a little nervous when they hear somebody who's liberty loving talk about quote-unquote, good governance. But that's not really a scary word in my book, and I don't think so in yours either. Yeah, good point.
0: And so it turns out prosperity and good governance go hand in hand. So if you look at what it takes for humans to thrive, you have to have a stable environment with the rule of law, with disputes that can be adjudicated effectively. And if you overlay sort of human wealth and prosperity over top of good governance indicators, they correlate almost perfectly. In fact, good governance is so important that humans pay governments more money for what's supposed to be good governance than they pay for any other industry in the entire world. People are paying more money to governments that are supposed to be keeping them safe, adjudicating disputes, guarding their property rights, you know, protecting life, liberty, and property rights. That is the largest industry in the entire world. So
1: it really matters getting good governance. Yeah, well, it also seems like good governance is hard to find. Although I guess on the grand scheme of things throughout history, we're not doing so bad in 2022, despite all the things we like to complain about.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that makes good governance so hard is there's only 20 countries in the world, and many of them, the laws of the entire country are uniform. So if something is better or worse govern, it's universal. There's not any option value. So really what has sort of broken that paradigm in past decades is the concept of special economic zones, SEZs. And so some countries, in this case, Honduras, where we are, have taken the special economic zone concept much farther and said, look, rather than just giving you some special tax breaks or import-export duty exemption we're going to allow a private company to bring laws, rules, and regulation, and taxation concepts from other parts of the world to govern a region that has laws that are different than the host nation, still within the sovereign control of the host nation, but with a much higher level of autonomy, independence, and innovation than would ever be possible if you were trying to implement those sort of reforms at an entire nation scale. So, Really good governance, I think the biggest breakthroughs in good governance come when it's possible to regionalize something to something smaller than country scale, because reforms at country scale are just incredibly difficult.
1: Well, it sounds like this is very similar to like a startup city sort of approach, like seasteading concept that was tried, you know, a decade or so ago and things like that. Yeah. Am I getting that right where it's similar? It's similar in
0: that the first thought process of how do we do innovative things in human governance led people to seasteading, which is, well, if you're more than 200 miles outside of the territorial waters of a country, then if you're at least 200 miles off the coast, you are in the high seas. So after multiple attempts at that, everyone came to the conclusion, uh, when I say everyone, almost everyone (laughs) that was involved came to the conclusion that, one, You're not nearly as free in the high seas as you think you are because you still have to fly the flag of a sovereign nation, which means you're still stuck under a lot of the laws of a sovereign nation. And also, seasteading is much more difficult and much more expensive, really, than anyone originally envisioned. So, a lot of the thought process around seasteading has moved to can we do this on land with the consent of a host government? inside an autonomous or semi-autonomous economic zone, which gives you all of the upsides of being able to innovate and have sort of a competitive governance environment for innovation without having to deal with being so far from civilization and the cost and the technological difficulty of the high seas.
1: Yeah, right. So it's more than just an economic benefit. It's also, there's more legal structure to this than just an economic free zone. Yeah, so the beauty of something like Prospera is that within the
0: jurisdiction of Prospera, we have an incredibly high degree of flexibility and ability to innovate in governance, legal, political, regulatory, and tax. So essentially, everything to do with zoning and planning and permitting. And when you think about regulations, there's just an entire sort of world there that curbs the ability to innovate largely because regulations have not kept up with innovation. So most countries in the world are suffering under regulatory frameworks that never envisioned the modern economy. And so within Prospera, yeah, you have a lot more, even personal freedoms, right? So you have the ability to innovate. And in our case, the uh, Honduran legal system, we are under Honduras, we have to remit 12% of our revenue that comes in from taxation to the Honduran government. And beyond that, we just need to follow the Honduran Constitution, International Treaties, and the Criminal Law Code of Honduras. So if you think about that, really, International Treaties, Constitution, and Criminal Law Code account for a pretty small percentage of the total governance. The vast majority of governance in any region is civil law, commercial law, regulation, and just this vast swath of other governing apparatus, in our case in Prospera, which is all privatized and all able to be done for profit within our zone. What is the constitution in Honduras like? So it's like a lot of the constitutions in Central and South America. The big difference was the Honduran Congress amended the constitution in 2012 and 2013 to create the concept of these semi-autonomous economic zones. And that was upheld by the Supreme Court in 2014 The program launched in 2017. So, what really matters is sort of not the constitution at the national level, which has all of the things you would expect in a sort of traditional constitution. What matters is that this sort of semi autonomous economic zone enabling framework is enshrined in the constitution, which is something other countries in Central or South America or around the world certainly could do over time. It's just Honduras was the most innovative, the most forward thinking to be the first mover in this sort of exciting new
1: industry and opportunity. So what are the typical challenges to getting something like this off the ground? Sure. So the first is a host nation
0: that has the visionary foresight to allow a high degree of legal, political, regulatory, and tax autonomy within a specific region. So, there so are California th- would
1: be kind of off the table then. Off the
0: <laughs> table. And I would say, <laughs> so um, even in the United States, you know, various ones of us at various points in time have attempted something like this, whether it's in Arizona or in Mississippi in the House of I serve, And the bottom line is you just can't do something like this in the United States today. And the main reason for that is most of the laws, regulations, taxes, rules, and dysfunction come out of Washington, D.C. So even if you could get a very high degree of Legal, political, regulatory, and tax autonomy in Arizona or Nevada or Mississippi or somewhere else, it really doesn't do that much for you because almost everything that stifles innovation in the United States comes from the federal level. And certainly the federal government is not going to say, yeah, you know, here's some federal lands, govern them any way you want. That is just absolutely not going to happen. So until something fundamentally changes in the United States, this will be innovation that happens mainly in developing countries and in countries that have more foresight and a greater degree of need for jobs, economic growth,
1: foreign direct investment, and tax revenue, all of which Prospera is bringing to Honduras. So this is going to be, Joel, this is going to be a little slightly off topic, but because you're probably the right guy to ask, your previous answer about this is probably not going to happen in the United States because all the laws come from Washington makes me wonder, would a state be able to, a state of the United States, be able to create such a zone such that it would end up getting challenged to where the Supreme Court has to rule on it. Like if let's say West Virginia wants to increase because you know the Biden administration says we're gonna go off a of coal in three months and West Virginia has to scramble to find a reason and they look at your website for Prosper and they're like, hey, let's do that here in West Virginia. What would, <laughs> could they even do that? And could they, I mean, where would that go? Sorry, this is a little off topic, but I know sure. it's probably something you could speak to. I would say, look,
0: everything is worth trying. 100% of everything is worth trying. I think the first thing the federal government would do is deny funds to the state. You know, they would essentially use all of the levers of political power in Washington to say, you know, hey, you're heavily dependent on, you know, transfer payments and Medicare, Medicaid, and, you know, all of that. And I think that would be the first levers they would pull. But frankly, in the United States, most of what the federal government does that is undesirable they don't have authority under the constitution to do. They're doing it by essentially withholding funds. So they say, well, you've got to set your speed limits on the highways at a certain level or you're going to lose your highway funds. And yeah. your drinking age has to be a certain level or you're going to lose funds. And so honestly, I would say states ought to do that, but certainly I'm not in the position to, uh, and the House of Representatives is not the level of political uh, politics I would need to be at in the state of Mississippi to, uh, yeah. to trigger something like a Supreme Court challenge. They they have to be able to say, we don't need your fiat dollars. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, most of the states like Mississippi, West Virginia, and others are heavily dependent on those fiat dollars coming out of Washington.
1: All right. Well, let's travel a little bit further south here, back to Honduras. So, Prospera, give us a little bit of a history of how that began and its unique approach that you haven't already mentioned.
0: Yeah. So the original visionary behind Prospera was Eric Bremen, the founder, CEO, and chairman of Prospera. He's originally from Venezuela, moved to the United States, the Washington DC area when he was 14 years old, and ultimately has always had a passion for good governance. And how do you bring good governance specifically to Central and South America? So when Honduras passed the legal framework that enables Prospera, Eric realized it was the first time in Central or South America that his vision for doing something like this would actually be possible. Efforts had been made in the United States that he was involved with. He and people like me had researched the entire planet and ultimately determined that Honduras was the friendliest climate and most conducive to a project like this. And so it really sprung out of that. Eric put together a group of people, including me. Eric and I met back in 2016. I became one of the first investors in Prospera, one of the first board members of Prospera. So from 2016 forward, it was really our company, Prospera, was the very first company to apply for approval under this special legal framework in Honduras. We were the first company to be approved. We were the first company to start buying land and developing. And so we were essentially spearheading the entire effort. And that project's been happening since 2017. So out of the entire country of Honduras, the island of Roatan is especially, uh, I guess, appealing in that it's a popular, beautiful scuba diving destination. You've got direct flights straight to the island in about three hours or less out of Miami, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta. And so all of those pieces and parts came together, and it just made a ton of sense to realize the vision of Prospera on the island of Roatan where it's a three hour flight from many of the major airports in the Southern United States. And you can be inside our development in 20 minutes from the airport. So all of that, I can tell you as much detail as you want, but a huge amount of work went into building the legal structures, you know, identifying the optimal land, employing all the people to make it possible. I would say it's, it's an epic, epic undertaking, but one that has emerged as something that is generating jobs, foreign direct investment, tax revenue for Honduras, it is fulfilling the vision for the legal framework in a really incredible
1: sort of way. So that's sort of the very short version of the history of Prospera. So when I hear you say all those things, my mind goes to this island in the South Caribbean, I guess. And and I'm kind of wondering, you know, you've been doing this for what, five years-ish and so forth. I want to have a picture of like, what's actually happening. Now you've actually showed me in Norman, I think a few months ago, you shared with us a little bit of mm-hmm. some of the progress that eventually went up on your website. And so we got to see like a building that was there, or, or I guess a demo house or a beta house or something. What is going on there on the land right now that we can kind of wrap our brains around as to like, what's sure. being developed right now as we speak?
0: Yeah. So right now, if you, you know drove down the path to Prospera, you would see heavy equipment, you'd see, you know, bulldozers, you'd see track hose, you'd see dump trucks, all building the very first of what we're calling our Duna Towers. The very first tower is a 14-story tower with 85 apartment complexes, beautiful view of the ocean. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. That is our first big residential tower We've got commercial office space that people work in today. It's beautiful. The breeze comes through. You can work in or outside. Outside, there's work areas. Inside, there's work areas. And I would say the number one thing, the number one takeaway when people visit Prospero, which I would encourage, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, please come visit. We would love to host you, is how real it all is. Like, we are building things. We are doing things. And, and a lot of these projects, like you mentioned, Seasteading and other things in the past, really struggled from just the ability to do stuff, to build real things in the real world, and to do them in a professional manner that is well-capitalized and all of that. So that is what you'd see. You'd see our beta building, which is a a multi-story building, commercial office space, and all of that. You'd see the first 14-story Duna Tower going up, and you'd see all of the business and economic activity around that that is ultimately a function of the fact that we have created a place where international companies can hire a Hondurans under a legal framework that is very conducive for employment and job creation. You know, legal systems can be imported from other countries, which is a really innovative concept that makes it easy for people to do business in a jurisdiction they're comfortable with because they can import elements of their existing law. So the short sure take is if you came, you'd see a lot of stuff going on. And your takeaway would be, wow, this is way farther along than I ever imagined, which is,
1: I think, exciting for everybody who visits Prospera. So you have residents there now? Yes. Okay. And in my, okay, again, I'm just going to go with like the average person thinking about this place, thinking, wow, this is really nice. Like, what if I just wanted a sort of vacation home? I mean, do you want people to be there full time? or Are you okay with people just sort of being sort of a remote resident? How does that all work? So all of the above,
0: the benefits of Prospera, some of them are possible with an e-residency and people can sign up at eProspera.hn. So that's E-P-R-O-S-P-E-R-A.hn. So eProspera is, and and for the record, .hn is the Honduran country suffix. So all of our our domain names are .hn. So you can sign up and start a company online with our eProspera platform, the team that is building eProspera is the same team that built the e-governance platform in Estonia, which is currently the most advanced sovereign nation with an e-governance platform. And so that team is building eProspera. You can create a business, you can do virtual residency, you can adjudicate disputes in the Prospera court system, which is the Prospera Arbitration Center. So all of those you can get from virtual sort of residency. A lot of the benefits, for example, taxation you're going to get taxed where you physically are. So, if you're a Canadian resident and you are in Roatan, you can't, you know, you can't just say I signed up online, I pay taxes there now, right? You've got to physically be there for at least 6 months out of the year. So, it depends on what you want to do for medical innovation, you got to do it on site, right? The FDA is not going to let you claim you are based in Honduras if you are physically in the United States. So, for a lot of the things you need to physically be there. For other things, you can get the benefits with just e-residency. But again, regardless of what it is, depending on your level of involvement, all of that's
1: available. So the e-residency, I looked online and it's not very expensive. But what um I mean, why would I why would I do that if I don't get a tax benefit or something else? Like what are some other practical benefits of me sort of becoming a Prosperum? I want to call it a being sure. a member. I guess you're still calling it e-resident. It sounds like being a member yeah. if I'm not actually going there. Sure. Yeah. So the
0: benefits is the ability to create a company, the ability to adjudicate disputes. Essentially, you can participate in the entire Prospera ecosystem and Prospera economy, and you can do that with legal contracts that are anchored in Prospera law, which all of the legal system is Prospera is based on the American common law system. So most of the United States is based on the civil law system where people like me make laws in legislative chambers Often that frankly results in bad laws. (laughs) But um, so Prosper is based on a common law legal framework based on the American common law with elements imported from the state of Texas, for example. So the benefit of being an e-resident is you can create companies, you can domicile contracts in the jurisdiction, and it gives you a lot of freedom to innovate on those fronts. Again, if you want the benefits of taxation or the ability to do regulated industries in an innovative way. You do need to be
1: physically there to do that. Is this similar enough to where some corporations will incorporate in Delaware or Nevada? Yes, very similar. So, you know, in fact,
0: Prospera Incorporated is a Delaware C corporation. So you get the benefits of Delaware even if you're not physically there for incorporation purposes. But even in, in Delaware, there are a bunch of benefits in addition to that by incorporating in Prospera, again, for Mm -hmm. ability to do a lot of innovative things that even the Delaware laws have
1: not kept up with. So, okay. So let's say I buy an apartment there, rent or lease, or I become a resident and I'm there more than six months out of the year. Let's say I'm there 11 months out of the year and I come home to visit family over Thanksgiving and Christmas. All right. Am I still paying U.S. taxes? So in the U.S., the U.S., you
0: would get a deduction for taxes paid in Honduras, whether in Prospera or otherwise. But unfortunately, the U.S. is one jurisdiction that claims international worldwide taxation. So if you are, if you are a U.S. <laughs> citizen, as crazy as it sounds. Because you of are course a, it does. <laughs> I mean, I, look, it, it, I, you, know, we're, we, you can't barely make this stuff up, right? But if you are a U.S. citizen, they tax you no matter where you are in the world So some of the tax benefits of Prospera are, you know, easiest to take advantage of if you are not a U.S. citizen, although you can certainly, you know, in the Caribbean, there's uh, Puerto Rico, for example, has very favorable taxes that that are still within the U.S. jurisdiction, so you can pay lower tax rates. But to get all of the benefits other than just taxation, you know, Prospera provides those. But unfortunately, U.S. taxation, it's not just Prospera. Anywhere you go in the world, if you are a U.S. citizen, you are subject to U.S. taxes and you can get deductions for local taxes paid. But at the end of the day, you're going to pay the balance to the U.S. government, which is, again, it's a wild concept, but it's the way it works.
1: Can I, can I be a citizen? So I'd have to be a citizen of Honduras. Yeah, you knew where that was going, right? Uh, I'd have to be a yeah, citizen so if you, of Honduras, right? If you're a
0: citizen of anywhere other than the United States, then the taxation that applies to you would just be where you physically are which in this case, the fully loaded tax burden within Prospera is the lowest in the world. So it is the most favorable tax jurisdiction to live, work, play, do whatever you want to do. Again, with the exception being that the US, uh, the IRS claims jurisdiction worldwide, and that is not something we you know, currently have an exemption for. But I'll tell you, a lot of what's innovative is in the regulatory framework. So within Prospera, you can import the regulatory framework of any OECD country. So any developed country, you can import that regulatory framework, which means you may come in and say, look, I wanna do this in medical, the medical field or cryptocurrency or finance. And our question would always be, is there somewhere in the world that has a legal framework that works for you? If so, you can adopt that within Prospera. And as long as everybody knows who's playing under what rules, it works. If there are no regulatory frameworks that currently exist in the world, You can propose your own. Prospera, the governing authority, can approve a new regulatory framework, and as a result of that, that becomes a new option, effectively a new buffet option for anybody that wants to innovate in the zone. So let's say you have financial regulations that are better than anywhere else on earth. You propose those, they get approved. Any other company can then leverage those, or they can propose an even more advanced innovative Legal and regulatory framework for approval, and then we can approve it. So there's a lot of really innovative stuff like that, and I, I'm happy to talk about as well. Even the structure of Prospera, the structure of Prospera is really innovative with what we're doing on that front as well. But again, we can take the conversation anywhere you want to. You want to yeah, go? Sir. I'll just tell you, pretty much anything to do with Prospera has the most advanced legal, political, regulatory, and tax. And and here's an analogy that sometimes helps people understand. So. Right now, the world runs on what I would call the Democratic Operating System, DOS, the Democratic Operating System, which is sort of the political system of the way the world works right now. So as with anything, including Microsoft DOS, DOS, it was an operating system that ultimately needed upgrades. And so either the current political system of the world is the best the world will ever have, or it could somehow be upgraded. Our thesis is that there are upgrades that are possible in jurisdictions like Hong Kong, Singapore, or Dubai, that ultimately the human governance we wanna create is equivalent to the iPhone 13 Pro that I carry in my pocket with a Coinbase debit card in the Mm. wallet holder, right? So that is the most advanced operating system technology that humans have currently invented. And the corollary to that in human governance would be Prospera, and that's our vision.
1: Hi, this is Carrie Baldwin. And if you like the Libertarian Christian podcast, you'll like our other podcast, Good News, Bad News, a roundtable where you can join me, Matt, Norman, Doug, Aaron, and others, analyze the news from a Libertarian Christian perspective. Check us out on YouTube, your favorite podcast app, or on LibertarianChristians slash roundtable. I'm pretty sure at least half our audience is thinking, "Okay, so what currency do you use?" Good question. So the beauty
0: of our jurisdiction is we can adopt anything. So we were the first legal jurisdiction in the entire world that if you wanted to conduct business in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, you could do that. If you want to use a foreign currency, you can do that. So the beauty of Prospera is it decouples a lot of those things. So it's not a matter of saying, hey, we're an autonomous or semi-autonomous economic zone. You have to use this currency. It's the ability even there to put it back on the free market and say, look, we're here to adjudicate disputes. If you want to use a currency, any currency you want to use, that is recognized. So we were the first jurisdiction in the world to recognize Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as legal tender and to recognize those as you know legal contractually binding forms of payment and, and all of that. So but again, the beauty of it is we're not here to tell you that that's what you need to use. You can use whatever currency is mutually agreed upon by consenting parties. And I'll say it goes even farther than that. You know, you hear the concept of a social contract, which is you live where you live, and therefore you must have signed some mystical social contract that consented to all the laws that are imposed upon you. Prosper is the opposite. We have a literal social contract, which is an actual contract between residents and the governing authority, which is Prospera, which means we are in a contractual agreement for governing services, we can't change the rules on you any more than you can change the rules on us. So for somebody who moves to Prospera, they don't have to worry about Prospera changing the rules or changing the tax rates or t- changing anything else because we don't have sovereign immunity. We are not a governing authority that can you know, change the, the rules at our whim. We are only a governance as a service provider. So we are here to provide the service of human governance in a competitive environment where essentially it works like software as a service. It's just governance as a service. And when you are in a contract with software as a service providers, you are in a contract with them. It's a two-way relationship and Prospera works exactly the same way.
1: So let's say I moved there this year and my kids come with me. When they turn 18, do they have to sign in order to stay there? How would that work?
0: Yeah. So I won't go into all of the finer nuances, but yes, to be a sort of legal, a legal participant, meaning you're participating in the legal economy, you're signing contracts, all of that, you've got to sign the statement of coexistence. Now, if you're a child, if you're a guest, if you're whatever, then you're not subject to the same sort of legal framework, or you would, you know, roll up under the legal framework of whoever you are a child from, or a guest to, or things like that. So, all of that, the beauty is it's all spelled out in the contract, so you, yeah. don't, you don't have to wonder what, what the rules are.
1: You say it's a statement of coexistence? Yes, exactly, or it's, a, it's okay. a contract of coexistence, yes. Okay, I was gonna say, does that come with a bumper sticker? <laughs>
0: not, cur- not currently, but it's, uh, but look, the beauty of it is we are, to my knowledge, the first jurisdiction in the world that has worked this way, where instead of a, hey, we're the governing authority, here's the rules, the rules might change, you hope for the best, it's like, no, we are creating an environment where humans live together in a completely voluntary way. And even their interactions with the governing authority are completely voluntary. And additionally, it it creates an opportunity, which doesn't currently exist, for residents to actually, you know, be investors, for example, in Prospera. So if you think about it, no matter how big a fan you might be of Miami or of, you know, New York City or Austin, Texas, there's no way for you to sort of own a part of the government, right? So we're told, well, if you show up to vote, that's your way of being involved, right? And the probability that any single vote changes an electoral outcome is very low. With Prospera as a private company, it creates an opportunity for the residents to also be shareholders. And that's not a concept that has ever existed before, where somebody can say, I'm a shareholder in Austin, Texas. I'm a shareholder in New York City. I'm a shareholder in Miami. So if you look at it, again, the more you walk around the concept of private governance and Prospera, it creates just an incredible new business model for human governance, not just in the relationship between those in the zone, but also, again, it's not a, you know, ruler-subject relationship. It's the ability to be even completely sort of on the same terms of, hey, the residents can be shareholders, the shareholders can be residents. You know, it's a really, you know, innovative ecosystem.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of my questions are sort of, an instinctual response to everything that you're saying. And you can, obviously you can kind of tell that they're like, well, what if I wanted to do this? And it does get a little granular, but it's like helping shape. What would this idea of being part of Prospera, either an e-resident or being there as a actual resident full time, like what would that even look like and feel like? Cause I think that's a lot of what libertarians want to know. It's like, sure. what would good governance actually feel like? Like we, we have a historical picture in some sense of, you know, the founding of the United States, where there was a lot of openness and a lot of, you know, it was all civil law, common law, that kind of stuff, where people made agreements and there wasn't so much overbearing federal government up until, you know, the late 1800s. But we don't have a common new picture. We don't have something that's, you know, twice as old as our grandfather, right? So having that picture of like, what what could life be like, even if none of us ever actually makes it to Honduras and visits Prospera, that we can say, well, this is sort of what we hope the future of governance could even look like. And so that leads me to my, to my next question, which is, what is some of the more challenging or better critiques that you've had to kind of overcome or have had to sort of address as this has been growing and being built? Sure. So a
0: couple of them. One is just the classic chicken and the egg problem of building any city scale development, which is how do you get people to come before you build it? And how do you build it if the people are not yet there? I think the big difference here is we have way more demand than we can possibly accommodate. So around the world, you've got seven plus billion people that many of which yearn to live free. They want to live in a place where they have liberty and freedom and the rule of law. And there's not drones flying around checking people's vaccine cards. And, you know, not that any of that is good or bad, but living a place that is free where you are with like-minded people. So one of the classic challenges is that, like, how do you get people to come? Right now, our residential real estate is completely maxed out. I mean, within our zone, sort of Everything is completely maxed out. So you can, you know, people can still buy condo units in the Duna Tower that's being built right now. But as far as places you can live today, we have got a lot more global demand. So I would say that is the classic challenge of sort of chicken and the egg. The other would be, how do you create an environment that is constantly a win-win? So in our case, obviously, the legal platform is enshrined in the Honduran Constitution, upheld by the Supreme Court protected by international treaties, we're under a legal stability agreement with the Honduran government. Like it's as bulletproof as anything can legally be. But at the end of the day, it has to be a win-win. So the Honduran people have to see that Hondurans are getting hired in the zone. We are creating jobs where, you know, there's foreign direct investment, there's construction jobs, there's real estate development happening. And ultimately that 12% of the revenue coming from Prospera is meaningful money that is making the world a better place. And so I would say solving the political challenges are a function of always being the goose that lays the golden egg. You know, we, this is always a win-win for Prospera and the host nation and solving some of the more sort of real world challenges of how do you get people there is we're much less worried about that because frankly, the demand is more than we can handle right now. And uh, also, again, when the time is right, I'm happy to walk through All of different ways people can be involved in Prospera if they want to be. But that's sort of my thoughts on sort of two of the challenges any project like this will have to overcome.
1: Before we wrap up, is there anything that I haven't asked you or that you haven't had the opportunity to share that you kind of always share when you talk about Prospera? I'll let you kind of do that and then we'll, and then just tell listeners where they can learn more. Sure. So I would say probably the number one thing
0: is that one of two things is true. Either the current political systems of the world are as good as they will ever be in human history, or it's possible to do better. And if we have arrived, if the current political systems are as good as they will ever be, that means a lot of people are fighting. A lot of people are unhappy. 49% of the electorate is typically unhappy after any election and the level of sort of discomfort and dissatisfaction with governing institutions are at a worldwide all time high while most governments are deeply indebted losing money, we at Prospera believe it's possible that there's something better. We built Prospera to be that something better, to show what a completely free market can look like, where the incentives within the zone are aligned to productive economic behavior and the good and thriving of all people. And that's what we have built. And and the hope would be that we grow in Honduras, that ultimately we would be able to build prosperous cities all over Central and South America and throughout the world. And the vision to be, look, we need to reform things at a national level. Things need to be better. We need to eliminate poverty and corruption and all of these other things. It's very hard to do that at country scale. If we can do that at zone and region scale, then it can scale up and entire nation states can adopt some of the ideas of good governance and the rule of law, and all the things we're doing in Prospera. So that would be the thing I would say everybody ask yourselves is, is the governing institutions of the world, is this literally what we're going to live with for the rest of our lives? And as a state representatives in the Mississippi House of Representatives, I hope and pray our current political systems are not as good as we have to look forward to for the rest of humanity. I have to believe just like in human history, every time we thought we arrived, it was possible to do something better and Prospera is putting forward Prospera and the charter city model within a semi-autonomous economic zone, that framework operating under charter from a host nation as that model that can make the world a better place for everyone.
1: Well, Joel, I appreciate you joining us. You know, your website is prospera.hn. And one thing that I know listeners might want to know is it's extensive. Like if you want to dig in and learn more about this and you have granular questions beyond the granular that I just asked about what happens when my kids turns 18, which, you know, Joel, you probably never thought I'd ask you that. You'll probably get an answer by reading through the documentation and the frequently asked questions. And it's probably one of the most extensive websites I've, I've actually been to. And it's actually, you know, it's attractive, it's easy to read, but if you really want to dig in, you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would say, so our website, prospera.hn, P-R-O-S-P-E-R-A.hn is the place to start. But there is comprehensive, there's a 42-page FAQ put together by Devin Zugel at Pronomos Capital. There's also Scott Alexander on Substack did a a big long post about about Prospera that goes into an incredible amount of detail. And I would say, reach out to us. Look, if you want to be involved in Prospera, our website is the place to start. You can buy property within Prospera, we have an invest button on our website. If you want to invest in Prospera, the company, we have the ability to do that on our website, fill out the form, anything you want to do, any way you want to be involved, whether it's real estate, whether it's moving there, whether it's being an e-resident, whether it's just reading hours upon hours upon hours of everything there is to know about this fascinating new frontier in human governance. And it all starts on our, our website, prosper.hn. And uh, we would love to have you. And we got a big enough team that no matter what you want to do or how you want to be involved, we have a lot of our team on the island in Honduras, on the island of Roatan. Others of our team are spread out all over. We are there to hold the hand of anybody that wants to be part of Prospera, regardless of what that looks like. And so, you know, the call goes out. Come be part of Prospera. It's an incredible
1: thing that's happening right here. Excellent. Well, Joel, thank you for joining me for this. This has been exhilarating to consider the prospects of this. And uh, I, I wish you well. And I hope that our listeners can find out more. Thank you so much, Doug. Thrilled to be on. Thanks for having me.